Well, good morning. As uh, Pastor Kerr mentioned last week, uh, this week we're taking a break from our study through Malachi uh, because the session and Pastor Kerr were generous uh, to let me preach something from my heart for you all this morning. So that's why in your bulletin you see we'll be in Song of Solomon, uh, chapters 2 and 3 this morning. So if you have your Bible, won't you turn there? Part of the reason I wanted to, to preach this text, it's a, it's a text that I love. It's a text that I have loved for a long time. And recently, through the high school Sunday school class, we've been watching a video series that has reminded me of this text, helped me to see it uh, in, a, in a new way, a refreshed way. Uh, so I hope to share some of that with you. But before we get to the text, I also wanted to tell a, just a brief story. Some of you all may not know how good of friends Pastor Kerr and I are. Uh, I realized as I was reflecting this week that we rarely interact together on Sunday mornings. Uh, that's something that perhaps you all don't get to see. Uh, but my time at Redeemer has been very peaceful. And part of that is, is due to uh, a good friendship uh, between us. Um, you all don't get to see the, the laughs that we have, the, the serious moments that we share as we, as we pray together and talk about our lives. And uh, so I want you to know that because uh, the story that I want to tell, you needed to know that we are actually very good friends. <laughs> Uh, and, and I say this in jest, and uh, that uh, Matthew is truly one of my most, most trusted friends. Um, so as uh, our series through Ecclesiastes was closing, we were talking about what to do next, what we would present to the elders to uh, suggest that, that we do. And, and I said, we should just turn the page at the end of Ecclesiastes and keep right on going through, through Song of Solomon. Let's stick with the, the wisdom literature and the love poetry. And his response was, nope. Uh, so they gave me a chance to preach something that I, that I loved this morning, so I'm going to take that chance and go through Song of Solomon uh, a little bit. But before we come to that text, won't you uh, join me in prayer one more time? Uh, Heavenly Father, we do so thank you for your love. We thank you for the love that we have in Christ and his gift to us, his sacrifice for us on the cross. And through that sacrifice, we can be united to him in a wonderful and mysterious way that, that we sometimes can't grasp. So I pray as we study that you would help us to see your love, the love that Christ has for us, and, and the love and the beauty of being united to him. So Father, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here now, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. My beloved is mine. And I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. On my bed by night I sought him who my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him who my soul loves. I sought him, but, I, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. May he add a blessing as we study together. Now enter with me, if you will, into uh, a world of science fiction, 
uh, imagine a, a universe of science fiction where there are aliens, though, though human-like aliens, and they're the oldest species in the universe. And as the oldest species, they have a special relationship with time. They have special ships that allow them to travel anywhere in space and any when in time. Their lifespans don't even end at the end of their lives. They, time itself seems to be on their side, and, and as they come to the end of their life, uh, energy gathers into their bodies, and, and they regenerate. They become a new person, a new character. And I have the same memories, the same knowledge, but they look completely different. Now, this was done as a way to keep the show going for decades on end and have new actors. Uh, but as the show progressed, there were more discussions of what's actually happening during this regeneration. You come to find out that the species called Time Lords, uh, they really don't have any idea what's uh, happening, how things will be different after they've regenerated. Even though it happens to them several times, they don't know what's going to be different. They don't have a clue what will happen. And, and if you think about it, how could anyone know what will happen after something like that? All they know is that they're going to be different. So this idea that everything will change, that everything will be different, is one of the key ideas that I hope we see this morning. As we come to our text, we see a bride on the night before her wedding. And so in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2, the bride is missing her beloved. It appears that he's been working or he's in the fields or he's been away and she's longing for him. Then after our, our text, uh, in verse 6 of chapter 3, Solomon arrives in a, in a glorious uh, parade. And it becomes clear from the text that he's arriving for the wedding. So as the bride is, is nervous and anxious, she dreams, wondering where he is, and so she goes to look for him. Because she knows that if she can find her beloved and hold on to him, that when they're married, everything will be different. Everything will change. So holding on to her beloved, being united to him, will make the difference. And so as Martin Luther, the reformer in the 1500s, began to move away from traditional Roman Catholic theology of the 16th century, he knew that things would be different for himself and perhaps for the church even as well. As he discovered the scriptures uh, for himself, he encountered the truth of justification by faith alone, by, gra by grace alone, by Christ alone. So everything began to change for him. He began to meditate on what these truths meant. And he, as he described this, what he saw in, in the text, in the scriptures themselves, he called this the great exchange. That all of my sin is Christ and all of Christ's righteousness is mine. This is that great exchange that happens when you are united to Christ. So no longer was Luther a man terrified to perform a mass because he was so afraid. And even in Luther's own words, he says he hated God. But coming to realize the truth of what it means to be united to Christ, realize that that changed everything. No longer was he the one who was afraid and hated the Lord, but he began to fall deeply, deeply in love with Christ. But it wasn't to Romans that Luther turned, as he is so famous of, uh, of all of his work in Romans. It wasn't to, to that text, perhaps in chapter 8, where it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, 
which you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And what a beautiful picture of union with Christ that this is, that that if you belong to the Lord, if you believe in him, if you have faith in Christ, then he is your brother. Co-heirs with him. How wonderful is that? And as beautiful as that text in Romans is, that is not where Luther turned to meditate on union with Christ. It was here in our passage, chapter 2, verse 16, that Luther turned. He realized it was in the context of a marriage that he saw union with Christ to be so beautiful. In that first line in verse 16, my beloved is mine and I am his. And in this text, it's one of the great comforts that I find in all of scripture. It's that great exchange that he was talking about, that all of mine is his and all of his is mine. So our text in chapter 3 follows this great declaration as it turns to a dream of the bride just before her wedding. She lies down anxious, worried, having not seen her beloved. And so she anticipates that union. She anticipates the wedding coming. So through her dream, we see how we should seek Christ. She seeks him, then she asks for him, and then when she finds him, she holds him. That's our outline briefly this morning to help us see this great exchange to help us see how everything is different how everything changes because of our union with Christ seek ask and hold so chapter 3 verse 1 says on my bed by night I sought him who my soul loves I sought him but found him not so you can hear how much she's missing him She's missing him, doesn't know where he is, and how disconcerting is that? You who are married, think back to that first night you spent away from your spouse. After you'd been married and you're so deeply in love at the beginning, just after you've taken your vows, and and you finally get used to, to living in the same space as another person, and then there's that first night you have to spend away from them. It's a difficult thing. It's not the easiest thing. Or if you're not married, perhaps think back to that first week you spent at camp away from home when you were a kid. How disorienting is it to not be in your own space, your own home? And so what do you do when you are missing your family, when you're missing your loved ones? What what do we do? We, We call them. We text them. And if you're really old school, you write them a letter. You, you do something. You find a way to feel close to them, to get close to them. What do we do with our relationship with Christ? When Christ feels distant, do we seek him as the bride does in this passage? Verse 2, I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him who my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. Do you do what this passage calls us to do and to seek after Christ, to seek after our beloved? How easy is it when we feel distant from God to continue in that distance. When you realize that it's been days or weeks or, or longer since we've read scripture, do we just continue in that pattern? Or when we realize that, that we've been prayerless and our prayer lives have been non-existent, 
do we continue in that pattern? Do we not want to face the shame of going back to God and having to admit all of our sinfulness, or do we continue in that prayerlessness? But thank God that our union with Christ is not dependent on our faithfulness. It's dependent on his. And Christ has told us in no uncertain terms that he loves us. In the book of John, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. He goes on at the Great Commission. He's promised that he'll be with us always, even to the end of the age. And so we can say with our passage that my beloved is mine and I am his. But when you feel far from him, seek him. Seek him like the bride does in her dreams. Go and use all the ways available to you that he's given to us. Pray, read, be in fellowship with other believers. Come to the sacraments. Be with others who love him. That's what seeking him looks like for the believer. Search through the city and in the streets. You know how strange that would have been for that to happen in ancient Israel for a young woman to get up in the middle of the night and go searching through the city for her fiance? That's strange even today. Right, if we were to get up at 2 a.m. and get in our car and go drive around town looking for someone, hoping we run into them, that's strange today, far more so uh, in this day and age. But it's going to be strange when we see Christ. It's going to look strange to the world. It's going to look strange to non-believers as they see you pray before a meal at a restaurant. It's going to look strange when you turn down that brunch invitation for Sunday morning because you need to be in church. But don't stop. You see the determination of the bride here. She'll get up middle of the night, look strange, and still seek her beloved. This isn't a temporary half-hearted approach. This is the, I'm late for work and I have to find my keys right now kind of searching it's, it's fervent, it's diligent, and sometimes very furious until you find the one who, you, who your soul loves. So yeah, it's going to look strange when you're reading your Bible at the library. It's going to look strange when you seek the wise counsel of other believers. Because when you feel distant from God and you go back and you read scripture and you pray, and I, I read my Bible, I prayed, and I, I just don't feel closer, well, go and ask someone else. Go ask someone else who loves Christ, who is a mature believer, who loves him, who is also united to Christ. Go and find someone and ask for help. It's one of the great things that the Lord has given us is other believers. Some people have been appointed as watchmen. The Lord has given us the church that we're not alone when we go seeking for the one our soul loves. Now asking for help strikes at our individuality, doesn't it? I hate asking for help. <laughs> I really do. I, uh, it's frustrating, and it's humbling to have to admit that you need help. But the Lord has placed people in our lives for that very reason. He's given us other believers and the church, so ask. Asking for help is not a thing to be ashamed of. How could we ever go through life without asking for help? As much as we like to think we're so independent, that's just not the case. We were made to be in community. We were made to be in relationships with other people. And who of us, let's be honest, who of us hasn't needed help with something? The first time I tried to do my taxes alone, pulled out my phone, Dad! <laughs> Trying to learn how to ride a bike, 
as you're falling over, what do you scream? You don't, you scream out for someone, get me, save me, right? But he's there. He's there to help. He's given other believers in your life to be there to help. So seek and ask to find your beloved because he is yours and you are his. And when you've sought and then when you've asked and you finally find him, hold him close. Verse four, scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and I would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house, into the chamber of her who conceived me. In part, this is simply how relationships work. They get closer over time. So if you want to stay in a relationship, bring them in close. Bring the one you love close into your life. And notice the bride, how close she brings her beloved into her home, into her mother's room. The beloved here is in the innermost part of her life. He's in that private, most vulnerable part of her very existence. That's holding on to Christ. Bring him into every part of our lives. And when Christ permeates uh, from every thought we have to every action we take, that's holding on to Christ and him holding on to us. And why should we do this? Why should we let him and be vulnerable this way? Because my beloved is mine and I am his. Hold on to him and bring him into every aspect of your life. Now, why does all this matter? Why does seeking and, and asking and holding on to him uh, so that we can submit to him in every area of our life? What, uh, what does this matter? What, why do we as believers need to understand this truth? And, and as we begin, this comes down to a significant change in how we live. Because we are all sinners. We all, even if we're Christians, we still continue to sin we have all done, thought, said something wrong. We failed to do what's right. And what, and what does scripture say about this? What does scripture say about sin? That its wages are death. Sin creates a, a debt in us that we cannot pay. Colossians tells us the God who saved us by Christ's death and resurrection canceled the record of debt against us. Sin does create a ledger that we can't balance. It creates a stain that we cannot wash. All our good works, the Lord tells us in Isaiah, are just dirty rags. And we understand this about sin, don't we? We understand that if you put dirty clothes in a suitcase with clean clothes, uh, the clean clothes don't make the dirty clothes clean. Dirty clothes, as the baggage, baggage handlers take it and throw it into the plane, they all get mixed up together. It just makes everything dirty, doesn't it? We know that if we're in debt with no income, we cannot cover it. We know that if a worker is owed their wages and if we have worked sin, that we are owed death. But when you are united to Christ, you're enlivened and you realize your need for a savior and you, you, need, you come to realize your need for someone to cleanse you, to pay uh, a debt that you can't, you realize you don't just need a polite benefactor, a kind person to give you a boost and help you go about uh, your own way and keep doing things on your own because let's face it, we've all tried it. We've all tried to do it on our own and we can't. 
No, you need someone who's with you, who is by your side, who is in the very innermost part of your life. You need a partner and a family member in the deepest, most vulnerable part of your soul. And from that deepest, most inner part of your soul, you need to be transformed, renewed, and regenerated. This isn't just a surface status level change. This is a fundamental change in who you are. Because when God calls you and applies the work of Christ to you, justifies you, then you are no longer a slave to sin. No longer rightly to be called lacking. But you're a new creation. Co-heirs with Christ, an adopted child of the Most High. You've been united to Christ and you are no longer yours you've been bought with a price. Now, when we think of being united to someone, that when you're part of an organization or you're married to someone, you realize that your actions reflect on your partner, on the organization, right? That if you do something wrong, that it, it reflects negatively. We, we know this to be true. It was Billy Graham who said many years ago, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. We know that this is true. We know that our actions reflect and that when people look at us, they're going to see something and learn something about the God that we believe in, about Christ who we're united to. We understand that this is true. We have to realize that the inverse, that the opposite is true as well. And that's what is so great about it, as Luther called it, the great exchange, that all his is mine and all mine is his. Because that's who Christ is, isn't it? He's the one who can take it. He's the one to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. He's the one who created all things. He's the one to whom all majesty and glory and power and honor is to be ascribed. So he can take it. He can take our sin. He can take and pay the debt that we cannot. And he did pay that debt on the cross. He can take uh, what we've earned by our sin and not only forgive our sin, but by his resurrection, defeat death itself. He can take all of ours. He can take all our sinfulness and cleanse it. He can take our death and give us new life. He can take it all and as the song says, save a wretch like me. So yeah, we ought to live in a way that, that pleases the Lord. We ought to live in response to the grace that he's given to us and strive to be sanctified, strive to live in, in the righteousness that he's imputed to us because all mine is his and all his is mine. Because he gives us all his work, his righteousness, his love, his grace. He gives us that. Grace is not some other thing. Grace is God himself. There is no grace apart from God because he is the Lord who is gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. See, it isn't union with Christ if it's only a one-way transaction. That's how we can say when temptation arises and you hear that little nagging voice in, in your head saying, you're a sinner, you deserve death and hell, and you can say, yes, I am. So what? Because my beloved is mine. 
and I am his. He seeks me, and I seek him. And he holds me even when I cannot hold him. This is another song says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, remember that you've been united with Christ. And yes, though we are sinners, my beloved is mine. And I am his. For some time, I've wanted to share this with you. our lives. It gives us a clear picture that Christ is our foundation, that unshakable foundation of every fiber of our lives. That's what being united to Christ changes, freedom from sin, freedom to live as a believer, freedom because we are united to his and he is ours. So as I reflect have been on my time at Redeemer. I began attending because this place feels like home. <laughs> when I came to Gordon-Conwell, I uh, wasn't sure where the Lord was calling me. I wasn't sure if I was being called to ministry or to more academics. But then I encountered one of the, the wonderful ministries of this church. <sighs> ministry to take uh, young men, train them for ministry, to be patient with me, to encourage me, train me, reprove me. <laughs> Over the last few years, a desire has grown in me through, through that ministry. And that desire is to declare alongside Paul that I desire to know nothing, nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. It's a desire I have, it's a desire I want you to share in. Know nothing among each other except Christ and him crucified. And when that opportunity is given, share. Share that truth with each other. May others who don't know Christ see in you, if they know nothing else about you, may they see Christ in you by knowing you. May they see you in you more clearly the one whom you love. Because our beloved is ours. We are his. If I can get through it, let's pray. <laughs>
Father. Thank you. Thank you that you are a good and gracious God. Thank you that you are so generous to give your son, your only son, whom you love for us. By him, we can be united. So, Father, thank you that you love us. Help us to love you more. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Good morning. As uh, Pastor Kerr mentioned last week, uh, this week we're taking a break from our study through Malachi uh, because the session and Pastor Kerr were generous uh, to let me preach something from my heart for you all this morning. So that's why in your bulletin you see we'll be in Song of Solomon, uh, chapters 2 and 3 this morning. So if you have your Bible, won't you turn there? And part of the reason I wanted to, to preach this text, it's a, it's a text that I love. It's a text that I have loved for a long time. And recently, through the high school Sunday school class, we've been watching a video series that has reminded me of this text, helped me to see it uh, in, a, in a new way, a refreshed way. Uh, so I hope to share some of that with you. But before we get to the text, I also wanted to tell a, just a brief story. Some of you all may not know how good of friends Pastor Kurt and I are. Uh, I realized as I was reflecting this week that we rarely interact together on Sunday mornings. Uh, that's something that perhaps you all don't get to see, uh, but my time at Redeemer has been very peaceful, and part of that is, is due to uh, a good friendship uh, between us. Um, you all don't get to see the, the laughs that we have, the, the serious moments that we share as we, as we pray together and talk about our lives, and uh, so I want you to know that because uh, the story that I want to tell, you needed to know that we are actually very good friends. <laughs> Uh, and, and I say this in jest, and uh, that uh, Matthew is truly one of my most, most trusted friends. Um, so as uh, our series through Ecclesiastes was closing, we were talking about what to do next, what we would present to the elders to uh, suggest that, that we do. And, and I said, we should just turn the page at the end of Ecclesiastes and keep right on going through, through Song of Solomon. Let's stick with the, the wisdom literature and the love poetry. And his response was, nope. Uh, so they gave me a chance to preach something that I, that I loved this morning, so I'm going to take that chance and go through Song of Solomon uh, a little bit. But before we come to that text, won't you uh, join me in prayer one more time? Uh, Heavenly Father, we do so thank you for your love. We thank you for the love that we have in Christ and his gift to us, his sacrifice for us on the cross. And through that sacrifice, we can be united to him in a wonderful and mysterious way that, that we sometimes can't grasp. So I pray as we study that you would help us to see your love, the love that Christ has for us, and, and the love and the beauty of being united to him. So Father, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here now, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. My beloved is mine. And I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. On my bed by night I sought him who my soul loves. 
I sought him but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him who my soul loves. I sought him but but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him who my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him who my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. May he add a blessing as we study together. Now enter with me, if you will, into uh, a world of science fiction. Uh, imagine a, a universe of science fiction where there are aliens, though, though human-like aliens, and they're the oldest species in the universe. And as the oldest species, they have a special relationship with time. They have special ships that allow them to travel anywhere in space and any when in time. Their lifespans don't even end at the end of their lives. They, time itself seems to be on their side, and, and as they come to the end of their life, uh, energy gathers into their bodies, and, and they regenerate. They become a new person, a new character. They have the same memories, the same knowledge, but they look completely different. Now, this was done as a way to keep the show going for decades on end, and have new actors. Uh, But as the show progressed, there were more discussions of what's actually happening during this regeneration. You come to find out that the species called Time Lords, uh, they really don't have any idea what's uh, happening, how things will be different after they've regenerated. Even though it happens to them several times, they don't know what's going to be different. They don't have a clue what will happen. And if you think about it, how could anyone know what will happen after something like that? All they know is that they're going to be different. So this idea that everything will change, that everything will be different, is one of the key ideas that I hope we see this morning. As we come to our text, we see a bride on the night before her wedding. And so in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2, The bride is missing her beloved. It appears that he's been working or he's in the fields or he's been away and she's longing for him. Then after our our text, uh, in verse 6 of chapter 3, Solomon arrives in a a glorious uh, parade. And it becomes clear from the text that he's arriving for the wedding. So as the bride is, is nervous and anxious, she dreams, wondering where he is, and so she goes to look for him, because she knows that if she can find her beloved and hold on to him, that when they're married, everything will be different. Everything will change. So holding on to her beloved, being united to him, will make the difference. And so as Martin Luther, the reformer in the 1500s, began to move away from traditional Roman Catholic theology of the 16th century, he knew that things would be different for himself and perhaps for the church even as well. As he discovered the scriptures uh, for himself, he encountered the truth of justification by faith alone, by by grace alone, by Christ alone. So everything began to change for him. He began to meditate on what these truths meant. And as he described this, what he saw in, in the text, in the scriptures themselves, he called this the great exchange that all of my sin is Christ and all of Christ's righteousness is mine. This is that great exchange that happens 
when you are united to Christ. So no longer was Luther a man terrified to perform a mass because he was so afraid. And even in Luther's own words, he says he hated God. But coming to realize the truth of what it means to be united to Christ, realized that that changed everything. No longer was he the one who was afraid and hated the Lord, but he began to fall deeply, deeply in love with Christ. But it wasn't to Romans that Luther turned, as he is so famous of uh, of all of his work in Romans. It wasn't to to that text, perhaps in chapter 8, where it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And what a beautiful picture of union with Christ that this is, that, that if you belong to the Lord, if you believe in him, if you have faith in Christ, then he is your brother. Co-heirs with him. How wonderful is that? And as beautiful as that text in Romans is, that is not where Luther turned to meditate on union with Christ. It was here in our passage, chapter 2, verse 16, that Luther turned. He realized it was in the context of a marriage that he saw union with Christ to be so beautiful. And that first line in verse 16, my beloved is mine and I am his. And in this text, it's one of the great comforts that I find in all of scripture. It's that great exchange that he was talking about, that all of mine is his and all of his is mine. So our text in chapter 3 follows this great declaration as it turns to a dream of the bride. Just before her wedding, she lies down, anxious, worried, having not seen her beloved. And so she anticipates that union. She anticipates the wedding coming. So through her dream, we see how we should seek Christ. She seeks him, then she asks for him, and then when she finds him, she holds him. That's our outline briefly this morning, to help us see this great exchange, to help us see how everything is different, how everything changes because of our union with Christ. Seek, ask, and hold. So chapter 3, verse 1 says, On my bed by night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. So you can hear how much she's missing him. She's missing him, doesn't know where he is, and how disconcerting is that? You who are married, think back to that first night you spent away from your spouse. After you'd been married and you're so deeply in love at the beginning, just after you've taken your vows, and and you finally get used to, to living in the same space as another person, and then there's that first night you have to spend away from them. It's a difficult thing. It's not the easiest thing. Or if you're not married, perhaps think back to that first week you spent at camp away from home when you were a kid. How disorienting is it to not be in your own space, your own home? And so what do you do when you are missing your family, when you're missing your loved ones? What what do we do? We, We call them. We text them. And if you're really old school, you write them a letter. You, f- you do something, you find a way to feel close to them, to get close to them. So what do we do with our relationship with Christ? When Christ feels distant, 
do we seek him as the bride does in this passage? Verse 2, I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. Do you do what this passage calls us to do and to seek after Christ, to seek after our beloved? How easy is it when we feel distant from God to continue in that distance? When we realize that it's been days or weeks or, or longer since we've read scripture, do we just continue in that pattern? Or when we realize that, that we've been prayerless and our prayer lives have been non-existent, do we continue in that pattern? Do we not want to face the shame of going back to God and having to admit all of our sinfulness, or do we continue in that prayerlessness? But thank God that our union with Christ is not dependent on our faithfulness. It's dependent on his. And Christ has told us in no uncertain terms that he loves us. In the book of John, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. He goes on at the Great Commission. He's promised that he'll be with us always, even to the end of the age. And so we can say with our passage that my beloved is mine and I am his. But when you feel far from him, seek him. Seek him like the bride does in her dreams. Go and use all the ways available to you that he's given to us. Pray, read, be in fellowship with other believers. Come to the sacraments. Be with others who love him. That's what seeking him looks like for the believer. Search through the city and in the streets. You know how strange that would have been for that to happen in ancient Israel for a young woman to get up in the middle of the night and go searching through the city for her fiance? That's strange even today. Right, if we were to get up at 2 a.m. and get in our car and go drive around town looking for someone, hoping we run into them, that's strange today, far more so uh, in this day and age. But it's going to be strange when we seek Christ. It's going to look strange to the world. It's going to look strange to non-believers as they see you pray before a meal at a restaurant. It's going to look strange when you turn down that brunch invitation for Sunday morning because you need to be in church. But don't stop. You see the determination of the bride here. She'll get up middle of the night, look strange, and still seek her beloved. This isn't a temporary half-hearted approach. This is the, I'm late for work and I have to find my keys right now kind of searching it's, it's fervent, it's diligent, and sometimes very furious until you find the one who, you, who your soul loves. So yeah, it's going to look strange when you're reading your Bible at the library. It's going to look strange when you seek the wise counsel of other believers. Because when you feel distant from God and you go back and you read scripture and you pray, and I, I read my Bible, I prayed, and I, I just don't feel closer, well, go and ask someone else. Go ask someone else who loves Christ, who is a mature believer, who loves him, who is also united to Christ. Go and find someone and ask for help. It's one of the great things that the Lord has given us is other believers. Some people have been appointed as watchmen. The Lord has given us the church that we're not alone when we go seeking for the one our soul loves. Now asking for help strikes at our individuality, doesn't it? I hate asking for help. I really do. I, uh, it's frustrating. 
and it's humbling to have to admit that you need help. But the Lord has placed people in our lives for that very reason. He's given us other believers and the church, so, so ask. Asking for help is not a thing to be ashamed of. How could we ever go through life without asking for help? As much as we like to think we're so independent, that's just not the case. We were made to be in community. We were made to be in relationships with other people. And who of us, let's be honest, who of us hasn't needed help with something? The first time I tried to do my taxes alone, pulled out my phone, Dad. <laughs> Trying to learn how to ride a bike. As you're falling over, what do you scream? You don't, you scream out for someone, get me, save me, right? But he's there. He's there to help. He's given other believers in your life to be there to help. So seek and ask to find your beloved because he is yours and you are his. And when you've sought and then when you've asked and you finally find him, hold him close. Verse four, scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and I would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house, into the chamber of her who conceived me. Part, this is simply how relationships work. They get closer over time. So if you want to stay in a relationship, bring them in close. Bring the one you love close into your life. And notice the bride, how close she brings her beloved into her home, into her mother's room. The beloved here is in the innermost part of her life. He's in that private, most vulnerable part of her very existence. That's holding on to Christ. Bring him into every part of our lives. And when Christ permeates uh, from every thought we have to every action we take, that's holding on to Christ and him holding on to us. And why should we do this? Why should we let him and be vulnerable this way? Because my beloved is mine and I am his. Hold on to him and bring him into every aspect of your life. Now, why does all this matter? Why does seeking and, and asking and holding on to him uh, so that we can submit to him in every area of our life? What, uh, what does this matter? What, why do we as believers need to understand this truth? And, and as we begin, this comes down to a significant change in how we live. Because we are all sinners. We all, even if we're Christians, we still continue to sin we have all done, thought, said something wrong. We failed to do what's right. And what, and what does scripture say about this? What does scripture say about sin? That its wages are death. Sin creates a, a debt in us that we cannot pay. Colossians tells us the God who saved us by Christ's death and resurrection canceled the record of debt against us. Sin does create a ledger that we can't balance. It creates a stain that we cannot wash. All our good works, the Lord tells us in Isaiah, are just dirty rags. And we understand this about sin, don't we? We understand that if you put dirty clothes in a suitcase with clean clothes, uh, the clean clothes don't make the dirty clothes clean. Dirty clothes, as the baggage, baggage handlers take it and throw it into the plane, they all get mixed up together. It just makes everything dirty, doesn't it? 
We know that if we're in debt with no income, we cannot cover it. We know that if a worker is owed their wages and if we have worked sin, that we are owed death. But when you are united to Christ, you're enlivened and you realize your need for a savior and you, you need, you come to realize your need for someone to cleanse you, to pay uh, a debt that you can't. You realize you don't just need a polite benefactor, a kind person to give you a boost and help you go about uh, your own way and keep doing things on your own because let's face it, we've all tried it. We've all tried to do it on our own and we can't. No, you need someone who's with you, who is by your side, who is in the very innermost part of your life. You need a partner and a family member in the deepest, most vulnerable part of your soul. And from that deepest, most inner part of your soul, you need to be transformed, renewed, and regenerated. This isn't just a surface status level change. This is a fundamental change in who you are. Because when God calls you and applies the work of Christ to you, justifies you, then you are no longer a slave to sin. No longer rightly to be called lacking. But you're a new creation. Co-heirs with Christ, an adopted child of the Most High. You've been united to Christ and you are no longer yours because you've been bought with a price. Now, when we think of being united to someone, that when you're part of an organization or you're married to someone, you realize that your actions reflect on your partner, on the organization, right? That if you do something wrong, that it, it reflects negatively. We, we know this to be true. It was Billy Graham who said many years ago, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. We know that this is true. We know that our actions reflect. And that when people look at us, they're going to see something and learn something about the God that we believe in, about Christ who we're united to. We understand that this is true. We have to realize at the inverse, that the opposite is true as well. And that's what is so great about it, as Luther called it, the great exchange, that all his is mine and all mine is his. Because that's who Christ is, isn't it? He's the one who can take it. He's the one to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. He's the one who created all things. He's the one to whom all majesty and glory and power and honor is to be ascribed. So he can take it. He can take our sin. He can take and pay the debt that we cannot and he did pay that debt on the cross. He can take uh, what we've earned by our sin and not only forgive our sin, but by his resurrection, defeat death itself. He can take all of ours. He can take all our sinfulness and cleanse it. He can take our death and give us new life. He can take it all. And as the song says, save a wretch like me. So yeah, we ought to live in a way that, that pleases the Lord. We ought to live in response to the grace that he's given to us and strive to be sanctified, strive to live in, in the righteousness that he's imputed to us because all mine is his and all his is mine. Because he gives us all his work, his righteousness, his love, his grace, he gives us 
that. Grace is not some other thing. Grace is God himself. There is no grace apart from God because he is the Lord who is gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. See, it isn't union with Christ if it's only a one-way transaction. That's how we can say when temptation arises and you hear that little nagging voice in, in your head saying, you're a sinner, you deserve death and hell, and you can say, yes, I am. So what? Because my beloved is mine, and I am his. seeks me and I seek him and he holds me even when I cannot hold him. This is another song says when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within remember that you've been united to Christ and yes though we are sinners my beloved is mine and I am his. some time I've wanted to share this with you. Sorry. <laughs> Reunion with Christ is real. It changes our lives. gives us a clear picture that Christ is our foundation, that unshakable foundation of every fiber of our lives. That's what being united to Christ changes, freedom from sin, freedom to live as a believer, freedom because we are united to his and he is ours. So as I reflect, I've been on my time at Redeemer, I began attending because this place feels like home. <laughs> when I came to Gordon-Conwell, I uh, wasn't sure where the Lord was calling me. I wasn't sure if I was being called to ministry or to more academics. But then I encountered one of the, the wonderful ministries of this church. <sighs> ministry to take uh, young men, train them for ministry, to be patient with me, to encourage me, train me, reprove me. <laughs> Over the last few years, a desire has grown in me through, through that ministry. And that desire is to declare alongside Paul that I desire to know nothing, nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. It's a desire I have, it's a desire I want you to share in. Know nothing 
among each other except Christ and him crucified. When that opportunity is given, share. Share that truth with each other. May others who don't know Christ see in you, if they know nothing else about you, may they see Christ in you by knowing him. May they see you in you more clearly the one whom you love. Because our beloved is ours. We are his. If I can get through it, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a good and gracious God. Thank you that you are so generous to give your son, your only son, whom you love for us. By him, we can be united. So, Father, thank you that you love us. Help us to love you more. We pray all this in Jesus' name.